So we're in a sermon series, we're calling it 180 Be the Revolution because it's based on the radical revolutionary teaching of Jesus as found in his great Sermon on the Mount recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapters five through seven. So today we come to a passage where Jesus is challenging us to consider the path that we're on in life. Everybody is on a path. And the question is, where is your path taking you? So with that as a very brief introduction, I invite you to stand as we give our attention to Jesus' radical teaching on this very issue. Matthew 7, reading verses 13 and 14. Let's hear God's truth. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So Jesus now has completed the bulk of his teaching throughout this sermon concerning what it means to be a kingdom follower, a member of his radical revolutionary kingdom or a Christ follower. So from here to the very end of the sermon, Jesus is doing two things. In each and every paragraph, Jesus is doing these same two things. First of all, He's emphasizing the need to choose whether or not we're going to follow him. And secondly, he indicates there are only two choices. So that's it. So here in these verses that I've read, Jesus indicates that the choice begins with an understanding that there are only two gates. Over here, you've got a narrow gate that leads to a narrow way or path that leads to ultimately life. But only if you were on it. And over here, he says, you've got a very wide gate, leads to a broad way, many are on it. Its destination, though, is destruction. So that's the choice there. Which gate are you going to enter? Well, in the next section, which Lord willing will take up next Sunday, he indicates that the choice involves two different kinds of teachers, the true or there's the false, those who would encourage you to remain on the way that leads to life and those who do not. So for example, think of all the variety of ways in which you receive teaching or instruction in life. Probably begins with your parents, you've got family, you've got school, you've got church, you've got television, you've got books and blogs and podcasts and uh, the internet and social media, all kinds of ways that you receive instruction or teaching in life. So the question then is this, which type of teacher and teaching are you going to allow to shape your life? That's it. So in the next section that follows that, the choice involves two kinds of people who profess faith in him, the sincere and the false. So are we going to be among those who profess faith while we continue to live lives marked by evil and rebellion against God? Or will we be among those who choose to sincerely and authentically follow him? Well, then the sermon ends 
with Jesus telling a story about two kinds of builders. So here are the choices. Which kind of builder are you going to be, wise or foolish? And once again, we're given the same two choices. Are we going to build our lives on a secure foundation of obedience to Jesus or build on an insecure foundation of sand? And that's how the sermon ends. So throughout, from here to the very end, Jesus is saying it's time for each one of us to make a decision. And the decision is very clear. It's as if Jesus is looking right into your eyes and he's saying this to you. You've heard my sermon. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to follow me or not? Are you with me or against me? All in or all out? Which is it going to be? But you know, thinking about this, the absolute nature of this choice is a bit unsettling, isn't it? I mean, if we have to make a choice, wouldn't we prefer more options? We live in a culture where we're constantly given surveys to fill out, but we have all kinds of options, right? And we can choose, doesn't apply, don't know, not sure, all kinds of options. And so we don't particularly like the idea if we have to make a choice of one that's so limited. But the reality is Jesus won't have it any other way. Are you on board or not? So clearly Jesus is indicating to us we can't sort of slide our way into the Christian life. It doesn't depend on you just having Christian parents or attending a, a service like this. Entrance into a relationship with God demands a decision. There's the initial decision, but there's also, in effect, a decision that you and I are asked to make in countless ways every single day. Whether you're hanging out at the gym, driving down the street, you're at math class at school, whether you're dealing with a, an issue in your family, one of your kids, whatever it is you're doing, at any time in the given day, you and I are asked the question, will we, in this situation, follow Jesus or not? Are we going to allow his teaching to shape and control how we do life? So here, in calling us to decision and radical commitment, Jesus is distinguishing between these two very distinct kinds of gates. He describes each, and then he issues a very stern warning to us about the eternal realities that are at stake in our decision. So let's begin by considering these two gates. So it's as if you and I are walking through life. And at some point in life, you and I are faced with these two very different kinds of gates. One is very wide. Wow, it's popular. Every, everybody seems to be going through that gate. Looks like they're having fun. It leads to freedom and joy. And over here, you've got this very narrow gate. Very few seem to be entering that, and it only allows entrance for one person at a time. And yet you notice that Jesus commands us to enter the narrow gate. So this isn't a, a suggestion. This isn't something that you can kind of take it or leave it doesn't have any implications for you. Oh no, says Jesus, by way of command, the Son of God is saying to you and to me, 
enter the narrow gate. Isn't it interesting that the only quality or characteristic that Jesus uses to describe this particular day, gate rather is its narrowness? Well, who wants to be associated with something that's narrow, right? I mean, even as Christians, we want to avoid that kind of a label. We certainly don't want to be narrow in a sense of being legalistic and self-righteous, you know, like the list-carrying Pharisees that Jesus at different points throughout the sermon has been condemning. Nor do we want to be inflexibly dogmatic about matters where the Bible is basically silent. So we certainly want to avoid an uninformed dogmatic narrowness. But on the other hand, you and I must embrace the narrowness of which Jesus speaks as he lets us know that the gate itself, the way of entrance into the Christian life is narrow. I think far too often in our efforts to attract people to Christianity, we have sometimes given the impression that there's very little difference between being a Christ follower and living, living like everybody else. I mean, the last thing you want to do is to give the impression that Christianity is narrow. I mean, that's a turnoff, right? No, tell them it's attractive, it's popular. You can have Jesus and you can have whatever else you want to do in your life. But that is not the picture that Jesus is giving us here. Clearly, Christianity starts with a very narrow entrance. And it seems to me that this has some very important implications for me and for you. Let me point out two. First of all, it means that there are certain things that you and I cannot take with us through the gate. So I think the picture we should have in our minds right now is sort of a turnstile. You know, you go to a concert or a play or maybe it's a ball game somewhere and you've got to go through a turnstile. This one that Jesus is talking about is so narrow, one person at a time, and it, you can't bring any luggage with you. Okay, that's the picture. So what kind of suitcases or luggage do we need to leave behind that we can't take with us through the gate? Well, one would certainly be the values of our world, our culture. When the Bible talks about the world or worldliness in a negative way, it doesn't mean it's people. It's not referring to the fact we need to segregate ourselves from people of the world, no. It's emphasizing values. It's, it's a way of doing life without God. Instead of that, Jesus, for example, back in chapter 6 said this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in other words, you can enter the Christian life and bring with you through the gate a piece of luggage that has a big label on the side, the American dream. Okay, and think that you can live for comfort and stuff and convenience and popularity, ambition or status. No, you can't serve two masters. Then Jesus said this, and also in chapter 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
For the pagans, those who have chosen to go through the wide gate, the pagans run after all these things, but you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So becoming a Christian involves breaking with the world, not living for clothes, cars, boats, houses, retirement, success, image, popularity, or comfort. You can't have Jesus and live for the world. So you're gonna to have to decide which is it going to be. So Jesus is here warning us against the danger of, of an easy salvation, against the tendency to think I can have Jesus and embrace at the same time the values of our culture. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't. So that's one thing we can't take through the gate, the values of our culture. But secondly, neither can we take through the gate self, that is living a, a self-absorbed life. Look at what Jesus says in contrast to this back in chapter five. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, you can continue to think about sex as something that's all about you. Where you take somebody who's been created in the image of God with value and worth, and you turn that individual into an object that you use for personal gratification purposes. Don't go there, says Jesus. He also says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And so, for example, the practice of deceiving customers to, you know, so you can just increase your bottom line has got to be a thing of the past. You've got to leave behind a life of deceit. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So to become a Christian means that your life is no longer about you. Look how the Apostle Paul states the same principle in 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus died so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves Instead, they will live to please Christ, who died and was raised for them. So I think this is one way in which the narrow gate impacts our lives. Jesus is requiring us to leave behind at the gate the values of our culture as, as your dominant thinking pattern, what you're going to be living for, and also a self-absorbed kind of a lifestyle. But I think there's an, an important second implication I want to get at, and it's this. It's the realization that Jesus is the only way to God. I mean, that's pretty narrow, isn't it? There's one thing that really upset a lot of the religious teachers of Jesus' day it was this idea that Jesus was asserting that he was the only way to God. So in John 14, he tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And earlier, Jesus had made this statement in John 10. I'm the gate, he says. I'm the gate. Whoever comes through me will be saved. Wow. Well, those kinds of exclusive claims don't sell well in our culture today, do they? They come across as arrogant and judgmental, narrow-minded, all of these things. And yet Jesus lays exclusive claim to being the only true entrance to the Father. And so he warns us against relying upon any other means of entrance into the kingdom. There's only one way to God, and Jesus is saying, I'm it. 
Well, in contrast to the narrow gate, Jesus says there's another gate, it's a wide gate. Wow, look how popular this gate is. Everybody seems to be going in that direction. No standards of behavior are applied. Well, this is amazing. And as a matter of fact, if you decide to go through that gate and you were to suggest to other people on that pathway that there's such a thing as absolute truth, or only one way to God, wow, you're gonna be kicked off that road real fast. I mean, it's, you're gonna be labeled as narrow-minded and seen as attempting to impose your personal convictions on, on other people. And so the wide gate allows for unqualified entrance to anyone. But friends, let's face it, the narrow gate concept does not sell well in our culture today. But attractive or not, popular or not, like it or not, Jesus is saying what the Bible affirms again and again, and that is that a personal decision to trust Jesus Christ is critical for your entering into a relationship with God. So, Jesus challenges you with a command that demands a response. Enter through the narrow gate. So, two gates. Having described the gates, we discover that there are two ways or paths that follow the two gates. Now, what is interesting to me here, among other things, is that the dimensions of each of these paths are in exact proportion to the size of each gate. So the narrow gate leads to a narrow road or path or highway, and the wide gate leads to a very broad road or a highway. So Jesus has talked about the narrow gate. What is it that makes the narrow way so narrow? Well, I think one way of answering that question would be to back up and to review some of the major themes that Jesus has brought to our attention throughout this Sermon on the Mount. So you've seen this slide before. It's sort of a summary of the Sermon on the Mount up until this point. But for example, you wanna know how narrow the way is, the pathway upon which Jesus is demanding that we walk? Look at this. It be he begins the sermon with a description of a Christian's character. And in eight statements commonly referred to as Beatitudes, Jesus says things will blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn or grieve their sin. He says, you're blessed if you're pure in heart. If you're merciful or a peacemaker, you hunger and thirst after righteousness, all of these things. And then he goes on in the second section to indicate our influence in the world. And he says that the people who are like this, they're the salt of the earth. So just as salt would be rubbed into meat back in the ancient world to prevent decay, so you and I are to be rubbed, as it were, into society, into the world. And as we penetrate non-Christian society, we are the ones that kind of check its tendency to moral and spiritual decay by our actions, our lifestyles. But then he also says that we're the light of the world. We illuminate spiritual darkness by the proclamation of the gospel message. So that's the second section. Third section, he emphasizes a Christian's authority. And here he said, narrow way travelers are to be in good relations with one another. You're to manage your anger properly. You're to deal with marital conflict. He talked about 
living in sexual purity and seeking to be faithful in all of your commitments and being a truth teller. Wow. And all of this is to be governed by the Bible, which is to be our authority. Wow. Okay. That's pretty narrow, right? Well, then Jesus gives us a description of a Christian's devotional life. And he gave us some examples and he said, you know, it really doesn't matter whether you're talking about giving money to support the work of God, praying, fasting, or for that matter, engaging in any other spiritual activity. He says you're to do it in ways that are unlike the Pharisees, these hypocrites, you're to do it in ways that are characterized by reality and sincerity. Well, then the radical nature of his teaching continues with a description, description of a Christian's attitude toward money and possessions. And he discussed, maybe you remember this if you were here, his eternal investment strategy, investing in his kingdom, saying that narrow way travelers are to make the kingdom and the righteousness of God our first priority and pursuit in life. Wow, that's pretty narrow. And then he ends by talking about how we relate to others, saying, for instance, that we're not to be known for a critical, judgmental spirit. So having described the demands of the narrow way, Jesus now turns to each one of us and he's asking the question, what about you? What are you going to do with what you've heard? You know, there's no merit in simply listening, Jesus would say, to my sermon are you willing to commit your life to be part of my revolutionary kingdom? It's time for you to make a decision. Oh, but wait a minute, because there is another way. What about the other way? Well, there is another way. It's a broad way which appears to offer such freedom and fun. I mean, think about it. No concerns about morality here. You know, yours, mine, or anybody else's, anything goes. No anxiety over making a difference in the life of other people for the sake of Jesus. No concern for the poor, praying for your enemies, forget that. No restless nights about issues of integrity. No sacrifice needed. No effort spent defending the cause of the defenseless. No, 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 no. Don't worry about issues of truth. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, just cruising through life without a care in the world. So Jesus talks about two gates, two ways, but then he turns our attention to two destinations. Oh boy. And he indicates that it's critical that you consider where the path you're on is taking you. It's taking you somewhere and where is it? So let's consider, to begin with, where the Broadway takes its travelers. What does Jesus say about that? Well, he says, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. I mean, what does that mean? What does he mean by destruction? Well, it does not refer to extinction or annihilation. It's really talking about total ruin and loss. In other words, it's not the complete loss of being, but of well-being. Now the Bible really doesn't say a whole lot to us about the future state of those who remain on the broad road. But I think we can say this, that it primarily involves total separation from God. Now the issue there is we really don't have a grasp on even what that means. Total separation from God, what does that mean? 
Well, if you think about it, everything that a person enjoys in life, whether they're a believer or not, whether they're in the church or outside the church or not, doesn't matter. Everything people enjoy that gives them pleasure and satisfaction in some way is a gift from God. So earlier in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this statement, God causes his son to, notice whose son it is, his son, to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Well, theologians describe this as the doctrine of God's common grace. Now, they describe it as common grace. It's not saving grace, and it's common to all people, whether they're evil or good, whether they're righteous or unrighteous, God sends them rain to grow their crops, causes the sun to give them warmth and joy and enrichment in life. But it doesn't end there. Think of all the other things that give people pleasure these days, like music and art and the blessings of family life, for that matter, and benefits of technology and medical science. There are all kinds of things we could talk about here, and they all come from a good and gracious God. So what would life be like if all of that is gone? I think that's what Jesus means when he's talking here about destruction. Wow. And he's saying, beware. Don't be tempted to believe that the broad road actually leads to life. Don't be deceived by that. No, according to Jesus, this fast pace, loose living, self-indulgent, carefree road is in fact, as one other author describes it, a super highway that leads to hell. A lifetime of self-indulgence leads to a, an eternity of self-destruction. Wow. But there is another road or another destination and Jesus labels it with one word also. Life, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Life here is a synonym for eternal life. The fullness of the blessings of God. All that I've just described that gives joy and enrichment to people. Plus, because Jesus said back in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Can you imagine being in a relationship where there's all of this joy and abundance and blessing and satisfaction, where you are in the presence of God and all the brokenness of this world is gone. Wow, what a contrast. So consider where your path, your life is taking you today. You can be sure that the narrow way is certainly more demanding, but you can also be sure that it leads to a life more satisfying than anything that this world could ever offer you. The broad road cannot offer you forgiveness, peace with God, a clear sense of purpose in life, joy, knowing your sins have been forgiven and that you are right with God and peace. These are among the benefits enjoyed by those who walk the narrow road. So two gates, two roads, two destinations, one more, two groups. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many entered through it. 
But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, I don't know about you, but that statement raises some questions for me. I thought of two, here's one. Does Jesus mean that only a few people are gonna get to heaven? Are the vast majority of people to be condemned? Is that what he's saying? Many, few? Wow. Well, let's let him answer that question, shall we? Luke 13, we read, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Well, there's our question. And what does he say? Well, he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Wait a minute. He never answered the question. Come on, Jesus. Why didn't you answer the question? Well, it's as if he's saying to, to us, leave questions like that to God and his sovereignty. It's not for you to know these things, okay? Your business is to make certain you're in. Then maybe when we get to heaven, we'll look around, we'll be able to say, wow, look at all the companions. This is amazing. It's like what the book of Revelation says. When we get there, there'll be representatives from every tribal group and language on the face of the planet. Okay, so that's one question. Here's another. Does a failure on my part to live this Christian life prove that I'm among those who are still on the broad road that's leading to destruction? I mean, maybe as you listen to these demands from Jesus, there's something inside of you that's thinking, well, I don't always turn the other cheek. I don't always love my enemies. Does that mean I'm still on the broad way? Well, to answer that question, answer these. Have you, by the grace of God, decided to live this way of life? Have you entered the narrow gate by committing yourself to become a follower of Jesus? Is that what you want? Is that what you are hungering and thirsting for? If so, I can assure you on the basis of the authority of God's word, you're on the right path that leads to life. You're gonna be tempted, we're gonna fall. What do we do then? We get up, we say, Lord, I messed up. You know, I thought this little rabbit trail over here could lead to blessing, and I kind of got messed up for a while. But Lord, would you forgive me? And he promises that he'll do just that. So friends, God doesn't accept you into his kingdom because you have maintained some perfect standard, because you can't. He accepts you only on the basis of personal faith in Jesus Christ. And so he extends forgiveness and joy to those who continue to rely on him as the only way to walk the narrow way without, he's the only one that's ever been on it without ever slipping or losing his balance. So it's by Jesus' stripes, his wounds that were healed, illustrated right here in what we're about to do in a few moments participate in this meal that Jesus established called the Lord's Supper or communion. And so we have bread symbolizing his broken body for us and the poured out juice representing his blood that covers our sin. That is the basis of your acceptance before God. So let me close the teaching this morning by asking you a very simple question. Jesus says, by way of command, enter through the narrow gate. Elsewhere, he says, I am the gate. 
So the question is, are you going to enter the gate? Have you? Will you? May God grant that it will be so. Let's pray together. Perhaps today in the quietness of this place, it's time for you for the first time to decide to put down the luggage of sin and self and enter the gate. Will you confess to God today in prayer right now that Jesus is your gate, that he's your way to the Father? And if you've entered the gate, will you recommit this morning by God's grace to stay the course by walking the way? Father, may we all be narrow way travelers. We don't want to make the gate or the way any smaller or wider than you do. But Father, at the same time, we acknowledge our inability to live the life you call us to live in our own strength. And so we ask you this morning for the grace and the power to address the many areas in our lives where change is still needed. And Lord, while you ask us to consider the cost of following you, we also pause to say thank you for the gain. Thank you that as narrow way travelers, we experience freedom and forgiveness and a clear purpose and acceptance and the realization that we are your deeply loved children. And unlike what anything that the world can offer us, we have hope, hope that goes beyond this world into the next. And so we say, Jesus, you are all that you claim to be. You're the way, the truth, the life. You're the gate. You're our path. And you are our destiny now and forever. And we thank you in your name. Amen.